And a very good evening to you and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. Well, tonight is somewhat different because I've never had Rodney Trudgeon as my guest before, and this is a great privilege and a pleasure because he happened to be in Johannesburg, and I said, come on, Rod, come on the program. Welcome. Thank you, Richard. It's very, very nice of you to do this. I hope no one thinks it's a form of nepotism, but I did you, so to speak, in Cape Town on People of Note there, the program we run there, you and we had great fun, do you remember? We did. And, but it's always fun to be with you, Rod. So Thank you, Richard. It's very nice to have you in Joburg. And I know you're here because you're traveling by train or something down to yes, Cape Town. Yes, I had this mad idea. I have a friend in England who comes out once a year and loves to go to Cape Town or from Cape Town by train. And there is a train called the Premier Class. Here's a little ad for them. Who... Um, are really a cut above the normal train. It's like the old first-class days of SA Railways. Carpets, curtains, the waiters wear gloves, the tablecloths are white and crisp, the crockery and cutlery is wonderful. And it's just a very pleasant trip. There's a lounge, car, a bar, a dining room. And so I flew up to join him, and we leave on Thursday, and it takes 25 hours and get back to Cape Town on the Friday. And what is nice about that trip is that you get out of Joburg, and then you travel through the Karoo by night, and you arrive normally about the top of Hex River Yes, in the uh, morning. It's so beautiful. Absolutely, because we get to Mikey's Fontaine. They time it very cleverly. We get to Mikey's Fontaine at, I think, about 6.30 in the morning. So we have a look around there. Then when the train pulls off again, it starts going down into the uh, Hex River Valley. So while you're having breakfast... It's very beautiful to see everything drift by while you enjoy a champagne breakfast. No, it is wonderful. I've, I did many train trips in my youth because I was at boarding school and we used to go by train. And funny enough, although the school was in Port Elizabeth, the train used to go up to De R and then down again through that oh, very yes, place. Oh, yes, of course. That of course. was wonderful. Those were the days, as they say, Richard. Those were the days. Well, uh, if you can imagine, in those days, my mother would put me on the train by myself in Cape Town and just say to the conductor, please put him off in Port Elizabeth. <laughs> and they did. And they did, yeah. indeed. Gosh, that's yeah. a long time ago, Richard. Amazing. Rodney, uh, well, your choice of music, of course, is spectacular. And we're going to begin with that wonderful overture by Mozart, The Marriage of Figaro. This is the Staatskapelle of Dresden under Sir Colin Davis. The wonderful Marriage of Figaro Overture by Mozart. I presume, Rodney, you chose that because it tells you how long to cook your boiled egg. <laughs> That's the famous joke about that. They used to say that um, Bruno Walter liked his eggs very hard and that Carrion liked them very runny because it's sort of four minutes uh, if it's an ideal tempo. This was 4.09, but it's my current favorite. So Colin Davis is a great favorite of mine, and he did wonderful work with the Staatskapelle in Dresden, and so that's why I chose this recording. Well, and I've just recently been in Dresden, and that Staatskapelle is one of the leading orchestras in Germany. It now. is. Yeah. Now, Although you haven't asked me yet, you may want to know why I chose that. Oh, um, I thought it was because <laughs> of the egg story. <laughs> no. It was the very first piece of classical music I consciously heard on a 12-inch 78. You know those shellac records that my grandmother lent me? Are you that old? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm talking about the late 50s. Um, and she lent, uh, well, she gave me a pile of records, among which were was this particular recording. And I remember I used to mispronounce it and call it The Marriage of Figaro. Uh, and Raphael Kublik was the conductor. And since then, I've always remembered that as being my introduction to classical music. How about that? Well, I think that's splendid. And did you have a career in classical music as something that you were eyeing? No, not at all. I wanted to, I joined the SBC 
as a sound engineer because I had this vision. I didn't think I was any good at voice work, so I thought I'd like to be a sound engineer for classical music. And I joined the SVC as a very junior controller in 1976, which was a in very long Durban. time. In Durban? No, in Johannesburg, in Johannesburg initially. I then came back to Durban. But um, in Johannesburg as a junior, they called it a presentation assistant in those days. And I had this vision of one day working in M1 with Jimmy, whatever his name was, James Williams, Williams. James Williams, and recording the orchestras and conductors. But then my career took a turn, and I was asked to do a voice test. And I was so relaxed, because I didn't think I'd pass, that they said, oh, well, there's some potential there. We'll send you to Durban and let them train you up. So I arrived back in Durban as a complete junior, untrained. I must have sounded awful. But you've been how many years in broadcasting now? 42. On the air? Well, that would be about 38, because I was about three or four years as a sound engineer. That's a long time. Yes, it is a long time. 1976. And I don't have a gold watch. I haven't been given anything. So well, Rodney, you've got to... fame and fortune, though. <laughs> well, so. maybe not fortune, but certainly fame. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd go on Rovosrail. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you're going on premier cloth, which yes, is absolutely. very nice. Well, your next choice is a young South African pianist, Amiel Bushakovitz, and he's playing music by Schubert. And once we've heard it, you can tell us why you chose this. Well, that's the second movement, the Andante Sostenuto of the Piano Sonata in B-flat, D960 by Schubert. The pianist Emil Bushakovitz is a, a great friend of mine. He's coming to Cape Town in the next few weeks, actually. And I've discovered that he's a superb Schubert pianist. And this sonata is one of Schubert's big sonatas. It's a desert island sonata for me. And that second movement, I think, is not only very beautiful music, but he plays. And if you think back into it, there was that second theme, which has that lovely hymn-like tune, which he played so beautifully. So thank you, Richard. That was indulgent of me. But um, what great music. And an unusual family. Uh, very, because very. Abigail, his sister, is a fantastic violinist. That's also. right. She plays in Berlin in the Concert House Orchestra and um, has just got married and has two children. And they've done a CD together, actually, of Mozart violin sonatas. And they come from George. <laughs> oh, yes, they are <laughs> the Eastern Cape. Yes. Uh, well, no, it's, there, there's some wonderful stories in South African music about where people have come from and where they are now. And I think the, the two Bushakovitzes have done really well. But, I mean, both of them are highly qualified professional musicians. Mm. Now. And they're also thoughtful. You know, they're not showy. Um, they are technically absolutely sound. But they are thoughtful musicians that put a lot of work and thought into their interpretations. And that's why I think Emil is such a good Schubert pianist. Where does he live now? He's also in Berlin. Yeah. But he travels a lot. He's got a French girlfriend who's an opera singer. Um, so he also spends a fair amount of time in Paris. And he's doing very, very well um, in Berlin, Paris. And they also go to America from time to time. And they do recitals together. So a great, a great story there. And you've seen a lot of musicians come and go in your however many years it is, 42 <laughs> years in broadcasting. I have, and even before that. I mean, my first concerts in Durban were with the Durban Symphony Orchestra, as it was then, with a conductor whom we all thought was the greatest, called Alfred Walter, and apparently he was. And he came to Durban after a short time with uh, Heinz Knappertsbusch at Bayreuth. Um, and the very first time I heard Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, um, he conducted it in Durban. And... He left years and years ago, but I mean, Edgar Cree and Anton Hartmann and uh, a host of people, 
based in South Africa. Richard Koch. David. Tidbold. Tidbold. David Tidbold. Yes. The late lamented. He was an absolute fine conductor. I spoke to a musician, Nigel Fish, about him, and he said he learned more from music, having played under David Tidbold, than he did in all his university years. And that, I think, is the ultimate compliment from an orchestral musician to a conductor. Now, you're also famous for loving Beethoven. Oh, good. Uh, And in 2020, there's a big festival of Beethoven, his 250th. Uh, year of his birth, so I'm sure we're going to hear lots of Beethoven. Uh, and the Berlin Philharmonic, who I'm sure you've heard live. Well, you see, I'm sure the listeners in Cape Town got bored with this because I did go, and I was completely overwhelmed. I saw the whole cycle of nine symphonies in five days with Sir Simon Rattle conducting the orchestra, and you can only imagine, Richard, what it must have been like to have heard these great masterpieces played with an orchestra like that, and with the considerable uh, attention to detail of Simon Rattle. And here is the fourth movement from the Symphony Number no. 7. Presumably that was recorded in... The Philharmonie. The Philharmonie yeah. in Berlin. That was the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra under Sir Simon Rattle. They were performing the fourth movement of the Symphony Number no. 7 by Beethoven. Now, you know, um, in that hall, you can imagine, it was a fantastic hall. And you've been there. You've I've even, even performed there. <laughs> you've stood on the podium of the greats. Um, the, the interesting wa- thing was that each of the concerts, you can imagine, was completely booked out. But the only time they had a standing ovation was shouting and screaming because the Berlin, they, they got fantastic applause. But the noise and grown men weeping, no, that's not true, but you know what I mean, was at the end of the Seventh Symphony. That last movement absolutely riveted everyone. And that audience stood up and applauded and shouted and screamed and didn't let them go. Because they don't do that easily in Germany. They don't. They don't. Not at all. Because no. I was there recently for the war requiem. Uh, in Dresden, they did. But in the Leipzig Gewandhaus, they just sat. Yes. They applauded a long time. Yes. But they just sat still. Good applause. Yeah. And no, no shouting Very and screaming. Very polite. Yes. Yes. And also the um, Cape Town audience is famous for standing up for everything. So when you conduct in Cape Town and you get a standing ovation, please don't assume that it was a brilliant performance. <laughs> well, actually, I normally engineer it by having them sing something or, or wave their arms or whatever it is. You do. <laughs> so, yes, there's more than one way to get a standing ovation. You must know this, Rodney. My guest in People of Note tonight is Rodney Trudgeon, the famous Rodney Trudgeon from Fine Music Radio in Cape Town. Uh, I can't, well, it's a sort of sister station because we share Michael Avery on the business program. Yeah, we've got a good synergy now. With, we uh, do. For a while we didn't. Uh, I mean, there's no way that we're in competition because we just broadcast in Cape Town. And um, we're very pleased to have the synergy that we do. Also, the fact that Classic FM still allows me to do some programs. Which is very nice. And that's why it's special to have you on this program. Now, Rodney, your next choice is a singer. Yes. And people know that I'm actually, you know, because I'm an, a Wagner fanatic, I'm actually not a, an opera fanatic. But there are, of course, exceptions to everything, operas and other things. And who can resist the four last songs of Richard Strauss? Um, I just think that I, I sort of try not to play them. Uh, but in this case, I thought I'd share one with you. And this is Jesse Norman singing the third of them, Beim Schlafengehen. That was the third of four last songs by Richard Strauss, Beim Schlafengehen, Jesse Norman singing with the Gewandhaus Orchestra of Leipzig under Kurt Masur. 
And I just have to say, Rodney, because previously you said I'd stood on the podium of the Berlin Philharmonie. Well, recently, I conducted in the Gewandhaus in Leipzig. <laughs> I mean, sure? that sounds like like dropping names. Well, know? that's famous for Mendelssohn, of course. He was the oh, one that and in fact, conducted there for years. While I was there, I went to the Mendelssohn house. Oh, yes. You know, this is what's amazing about Germany, I guess, and where all these people have been. I mean, I went to the St. Thomas Church where Bach is... Well, he's buried there. And I went to the Mendelssohn house, and there's a, a Schumann house. And it's just unbelievable. There you are where these people actually walked and sat and slept. And I bet you, you didn't go to the Wagner, where Wagner went to school for the first time. And did you see the big Wagner statue in Leipzig? I didn't. Well, you see. Because I'm not a Wagner fanatic. <laughs> okay. When you said a well, Wagner... Well, I won't leave the studio now. No, no, no. When you said a Wagner fanatic, do you mean that? I do. I've I've now seen four live ring cycles, and that's quite a um, a what's the word an achievement. Quite an achievement. But it, it's a commitment. It it requires a lot of time and energy because it's four nights basically of fairly long operas, and I've been to Bayreuth just recently. I was in Wiesbaden, um, and saw a really magnificent ring cycle there, um, and. The Ring is my big thing, followed by Parsifal and then Tristan. But I'm not a huge fan of Meistersinger or Tannhäuser. But you also said an interesting thing, because you said you're not an opera fanatic, but you are a Wagner fanatic. Because I just think of Wagner as different. First of all, he called them music dramas. Of course, they're operas. But he structured them quite differently in that you don't have arias and trios and quartets and choruses, mostly. The Ring Cycle only has a chorus in the last opera, as well as trios and things. So, And he uses a kind of symphonic thread um, through the operas where using leitmotifs that are developed as a composer would develop a symphonic theme. But I, there are some operas that I absolutely love. I wouldn't be able to live without Rigoletto by Verdi or Aida, Boris Godunov by Mussorgsky, Puccini's La Boheme, believe it or not. But Wagner is number one. Wagner is number one. As they say, he's my man. Well, that's amazing. And Brahms is another man of yours. Very much so. Brahms, I've, I've have a huge affection for it. It was very difficult actually trying to choose, first of all, a 20 piece of music, however much we're going to play. But um, choosing what to play of Brahms was very difficult. But I absolutely love the second movement of his fourth symphony. And that's what you're playing next. This is the Berlin Philharmonic again under Sir Simon Rattle. That was the second movement, Andante Moderato, from the Symphony No. 4 in E minor by Johannes Brahms. The Berlin Philharmonic, again with Sir Simon Rattle conducting. The choice of Rodney Trudgeon, who's my guest in People of Note. Rodney, I must say it's very special to have you here. I mean, we've been working together for many, many years. Well, Richard, you gave me, here's a compliment coming to you, but I'm sure you're used to compliments. <laughs> you gave me my first breaks, so to speak, when you asked me to do pre-concert talks all those years ago. And now that's a big part of my life, for which I'm very grateful and not to talk. So we've even done talks together. We have. And we had a regular feature on what was the English service on a Wednesday afternoon, where we covered events in and around Johannesburg and elsewhere in the country. So we've worked together behind a microphone, actually, for a very long time. For a long time, but not... Recently, we haven't been together in the studio, but since we're on the same station on a weekly basis, I mean, people associate us with each other, as it were. Indeed. And, and it, I'm very flattered to be on the same station as you because you're a very seasoned broadcaster. <laughs> seasoned is an interesting word, isn't yes. it? Makes you think of a piece of meat that's been lying in some sort of, um, what do you call that thing that they lie in? 
you know, when you put a piece of meat into cure, yes. what is it called? Biltong. Uh, not biltong. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Seasoned. Marinade, that's the word I was Marinade. Saying. Marinade, yeah. Well, you're certainly well marinated. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, because you, you quite enjoy good whiskies, don't you? I do. I'm very much a fan of whiskey, so don't smile like that. That sort of, it's, I'm a huge fan. I think I drink far too much whiskey, but I also like to um, enjoy the single malts from the various areas. And I'm a great fan of the ones from Islay, the PT ones. So this is very much part of my life. And I often say that some music, like Sibelius, is like a good whiskey. It's an acquired taste, and in order to acquire that taste, you have to drink quite a lot of it. <laughs> Unlike Brahms, who was a great beer drinker. Yes, he was. Yes. <laughs> it's funny, some, uh, you know, my wife doesn't, is not a great fan of Brahms. Mm, but, I know, but we but have lots are. of jokes about yeah, that. But you are. Mm, very much so. Yes. I think Brahms, a friend of mine once said about Brahms, he said, um, Brahms, they, they compare him sometimes to Beethoven, and they said Brahms has a sensuality about him, which I absolutely agree with. Not sort of in-your-face type sensuality, but when you listen to his orchestration and the way he couches his themes, there is a sensuousness about it, and wonderful, wonderful, innovative rhythmic ideas and so on. And shame, he, he had such bad luck in his love life. He did. Yeah. Well, that's because he was besotted with old Clara Schumann. No, he's always choosing other people's wives. It's <laughs> <Yes>, the <laughs> naughty man. <laughs> You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027, and my guest tonight is the famous the world-famous Rodney Trudgeon, Wagner fanatic and Brahms lover, who's visiting Johannesburg and fortuitously uh, was available to come and do a program on People of Note. And it's a great pleasure for us to have him here on Classic 1027, the station you're listening to. And welcome back to the second hour of People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch, and my guest is Rodney Trudgeon from Cape Town. Yes. Now, Rodney, I'm quite surprised to see amongst Richard Strauss, Beethoven, Brahms, Mozart and Schubert, Gilbert and <laughs> Sullivan. <laughs> so are my Wagner friends, the Wagner Society that I belong to, all say, no, you can't be serious. But I am absolutely, I adore Gilbert and Sullivan. And like that Mozart overture, The Marriage of Figaro, it goes back to my youth for the 78s that were given to me when I was young by my grandmother. There was a recording on or, you know, have you ever seen, remember those big 78 folders where they're about 10 LPs and weigh a ton of the Mikado and the Pirates of Penzance and Iolanthe? And I became, and we had a school teacher who taught us how to sing the patter songs because they're very good for articulation, uh, getting school children to sing these patter songs. And arguably one of the most famous is the Nightmare Song from Iolanthe, which is very long. Uh, and it requires an incredible sense of rhythm as well as articulation to spit out the words. Not to mention a good memory. Not to mention a good memory, exactly. And this is Love Unrequited from Ireland. John Reed is the baritone with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Royston Nash. Well, that was Love Unrequited, the nightmare song from Ireland. Gibbon Sullivan, of course, put that together. John Reed sang it with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra under the delightfully named Royston Nash. Yes, he, Royston Nash, took over from Isidore Godfrey, the years and years conductor of the Doily Cart, and did quite a few recordings, stereo recordings on the deck label, a very nice version of the Mikado as well. 
Have you ever been on the stage? No, no. Only as, a, only as a narrator. I can imagine you on the stage, actually. No, I would never be able to act. You have conducted, though. Oh, yes, but that was your little joke. And I still remember it was in Cape Town at Kirsten Bosch Gardens. I remember it well. And I remember what it was. It was the Dambusters March. I don't remember that. I do remember getting you to conduct, though. Yes. And I remember when I started, the orchestra looked at me all terrified. And the, the Dambusters starts with a roll on the timpani. And the lady who was playing the timpani was looking particularly panic-stricken. <laughs> but then they, they somehow started. Because, as you know, they don't really follow a guest, I don't think. They, well, you mean they never follow the conductor anyway. <laughs> they just play. No man. Now, Rodney, uh, you seem to like classical and romantic music. You're not much of a sort of Baroque man, are you? Not hugely, but, you, you know, one can't really say that because then you write off the magnificent works of Bach and Handel and also things like the Vivaldis and Gluck and Rameau. But they would not be desert island choices as much as I absolutely enjoy listening to them. So when you're sitting at home sipping your first whiskey of the evening and you're contemplating what to listen to, it's not Baroque? Generally not, no. It would probably be, you're absolutely right, probably be... Classical, romantic, and late romantic into the 20th century, but I'm also not very brave. I'm not very experimental with um, what's called modern music. I, I go up to about Shostakovich and Stravinsky. Uh, there are exceptions, of course, but um, like Benjamin Britten, whom I do like, and I love the war record, and I'm very sorry I missed it in Cape Town. However, um, it is mostly, and also chamber music. I'm a great fan of chamber music. And do you actually listen to a lot of music when you're not working on the radio. Is this a re relaxation for you? It is, but um, I find that I'm listening to less um, now that I'm listening so much on the radio that when I get home, I mean, I don't put the radio on in the car, for example, and generally speaking, I don't put the radio on at home, which is naughty because I'm the program manager and I should be listening to what's going on. Um, but I do find I then start thinking, why is he or she doing that? What? I and it spoils it for it you. It spoils yeah. it for me. So therefore, Putting on a set of headphones and listening to a symphony or something or a concerto is much preferable. But you also go to a lot of concerts. I do. I do. Well, I attend all the concerts which we now broadcast on Fine Music Radio. Uh, on Fine Music Radio, we broadcast the Cape Town Philharmonic concerts. So I go to all of those and do talks and some of the chamber music and so on. Well, here comes a piece that you probably hear regularly in Cape Town, the Symphony No. 5 by Tchaikovsky. This is the finale. And it's played by the Simon Bolivar Youth Orchestra of Venezuela under Gustavo Dudamel. The grand ending of Tchaikovsky Symphony No. 5 in E minor. And that's the Simon Bolivar Youth Orchestra of Venezuela conducted by Gustavo Dudamel. They call him Richard, apparently they call him Dude <laughs> for short. He's one of these young whiz kid conductors who also incidentally um, auditioned for the Berlin Philharmonic when Simon Rattle was due to leave. Uh, but he didn't quite make it. I remember he did a Also Sprach Zarathustra, and um, it was recorded, and a very cynical critic in the gramophone magazine said, well, if that was his audition piece, then he can't possibly expect to get the job. <laughs> yeah, I often wonder, you know, with all the problems in Venezuela at the moment, what has happened to that whole program that they had there? And, and these youth orchestras, because they've got terrible financial problems now. They have, I actually don't know. That's a good question. I yeah. thought it might still be continuing with Gustavo Dudamel um, guesting there every now and again. But he's he's moved on from Oh, yes, he's now. in. I think he's in one of the London orchestras at the yeah. moment. He's somewhere in the UK. And he's still very young. He's very young. Yeah. And he's very good, let's face it. He's a, 
I mean, there's, there's a reason why he is where he is, and that the big orchestras invite him to conduct. And who are your, because I know you love certain conductors like these old dudes like uh, Klemperer <laughs> and Furtwängler and those How people. How dare you call Klemperer dude? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I am a huge fan of Furtwängler. I thought he did amazing things, like his Beethoven 9 at Bayreuth, when Bayreuth opened after the year, and also his Wagner and Beethoven. Um, and also um, Klemperer. And I discovered Klemperer relatively recently in my life because friends, I went through that hi-fi phase and friends said, oh, no, you mustn't touch Klemperer. It's all so slow and dreary. You must go with Karian and Schulte and Bernstein. And I was in the car once listening to a Brahms symphony, or it might have been the Eroka, and I thought, this is the most extraordinary thing. And I sat in the car waiting. And weeping. Well, no, and, uh, no grown men don't weep. And um, I waited for the back announcement, and it was the Philharmonia Orchestra conducted by Otto Klemperer. And by the next day, I had it, and it's become one of my treasured recordings. So I have discovered, um, for example, the Brahms Requiem with Klemperer, Mahler II, these extraordinary things, these Beethoven cycle. Um, he was a great, magnificent conductor. Well, here comes another great conductor, Sir George Scholte. This is by Wagner, Loga Hoer from Die Wallküre. Hans Hotter is the singer. What a great chord to end on. Mm. Just sounds so resonant and beautiful. And also resolving, if there's such a word. Um, it's the last chord of Die Wallküre, because that's the closing scene of Die Wallküre, the second installment of the Ring Cycle. In Schulte's famous Decca recording of the entire Ring, uh, with Hans Hotter there, sounding a little old and a bit wobbly, but they were so wanted to have him on. And the Vienna Philharmonic is George Schulte. That's known as um, the fire music at the end of Wotan's Farewell, where he summons Loger to cast a spell and build a magic fire around the sleeping Brunhilde. It's I go, I'm getting goose flesh talking to you now. Let's go off and listen to Die Valkyra after this. And You've seen that four times. I've seen the ring cycle four times, yes. And each time they do the fire differently. They do. Well, each time the production is different. There's some truly bizarre, unfortunately, um, productions of the ring where the directors very often get horribly in the way. But I just find that the last one I saw in Wiesbaden, I had no idea what the director was trying to do. But the singing was outstanding. The production wasn't too distracting. And the orchestra, conducted incidentally by the brother of Billy Joel, Alexander Joel, whom I met and spoke to about his famous brothers. Well, I think he rather wanted me to speak about how famous he was. But nonetheless, he, it, the sound, the singing and the music was incredible. So I didn't really care what was happening on stage. And we have a connection now in Wiesbaden with Albert Horn. Yes, he was for many years the chorus master at Cape Town Opera. And he brought the chorus to an extraordinary high standard. They won an international award. And now he's also doing a lot of conducting. And he was out here recently with a German youth orchestra. So his career has really rocketed, yes. And I saw him as well there. He trained the chorus for the Goethe Dammerung scene. Wonderful. So, And you've got friends in high places now. This is good. Now, we are going back now a little in time to Joseph Haydn and his Symphony Number no. 102. This is the first movement. That was the first movement of the Symphony Number no. 102 in B-flat by Haydn. That recording with the London Philharmonic and Eugen Jochum and Richard People know, actually, that I'm a huge Haydn fan. There was a time when I used to get quite cross that Haydn suffered very much um, because of the huge bright star of Mozart. 
But really, I find Haydn an absolute genius. And I'm not alone in that. Sir Simon Rattle agrees. He said the one composer he'd like to have dinner with is Haydn. And I would agree with that. And that symphony, that first movement, is an absolute gem and an indication of his unbelievable inspiration. And novelty. He and was, novelty, he, yes. Unbelievably original composer. He wrote 104 symphonies. And people who are being cruel and cynical say they all sound the same and nothing could be further from the uh, it's truth. It's very far from the truth. And yeah. I always remember uh, Viktor Yampolsky uh, who's visited South Africa many times he, he often used to schedule a Haydn symphony right at the beginning of his period in South Africa because he would say uh, I put Haydn there to say the cleaning lady has arrived. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, because it makes the orchestra really concentrate mm. and play together. The ensemble has to be really precise. We had very recently in Cape Town Bernard Gurler, who is also known to Johannesburg audiences, conducting Haydn's Drumroll Symphony, I think number 103. And he, I spoke to him about it, and the orchestra sounded wonderful. And he said, oh, yes, but it takes a lot of work. It really shows up the weaknesses in the auction articulation and all that, and they have to work hard. So the cleaning lady idea is a wonderful story. It is. Do you mind if I use it in Cape Town? Not at all. Good. You're very welcome. As long as you credit Viktor Yampolsky. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can see coming up as your final choice is music by Beethoven. And, well, I mean, you've complained to me off air that I'm not asking you to say why you've chosen these pieces. I know why you chose this. And did you hear it recently when Minnesota were here? No, because they didn't do it in Cape Town. Oh, did they not? No, they did. They did it in Johannesburg only. The Cape Town concert. They did Beethoven five, um, but not the ninth. So we were all a bit cross. Oh, that is a pity, because it was pretty spectacular. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. And you playing some of it on the air. I see you've got some of the recordings of Osmovenska and from that concert. And he's a sort of Beethoven expert too. Well, he is. He's Beethoven cycle with the Minnesota has been highly, highly um, praised by the cynical critics of the gramophone and elsewhere. And of whom there are probably many. Of Indeed, indeed. But the ninth has always been very special to me since that performance with Alfred Walter in Durban in 1969. And I have, at the moment, I have got 54 recordings of it. What? So it's a bit difficult to choose when I'm at home to listen. But it is, I'm completely obsessed by it. I think I have an obsessive-compulsive disorder somewhere. But um, I... And can you imagine the experience of seeing that in Berlin at the end of that cycle with Simon Rattle, the soloists, the chorus, and that orchestra? And a jam-packed hall. And a jam-packed hall for the close of the season. But I, we can't, we don't have time to play the last movement. But if I, I, I firmly believe that the first movement is one of Beethoven's symphonic masterpieces. That was the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Sir Simon Rattle, they were playing the first movement of the Symphony Number no. 9 by Beethoven. And that was the final choice of Rodney Trudgeon, who's been my guest in People of Note. And I have to say, Rodney, it really has been a pleasure. It's been easy to do, and you've been a wonderful guest, as you've been a wonderful friend over many, many years. Has so, it been real? It's been real, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much indeed for coming. Thank you for asking me, Richard. It's as I knew you keep saying about being famous and all that, but I really didn't expect it, and I'm very chuffed that you asked me. And it's lovely to share some memories with you of what we've done together over the years, to thank you for being here and for what you did for me. And long may it continue. Long may it continue. And thanks also to Pitt for helping us put it all together. And... 
Rodney, you're off back to Cape Town, but I hope you have wonderful concerts down there. I'll see you very soon because I'm down around Christmas time quite a bit. And doubtless we'll sip a whiskey together. Absolutely. That's a date. I'm not going to let you forget that. Fantastic. Richard, thank you very much. And thank you at home for listening. Until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good evening.